Oh, church, it's so good to be with you, Kingsway. Um, just seeing that picture of my family makes me, I wish they were here. I wish they were here. I wish you guys could meet my kids. They're definitely, my wife is the crown of my glory, and my children are my greatest blessing. I, it's great to be here by myself, but to know me is to know my family. Um, so... Thank you, uh, church, for letting me come back again. Thank you, Josh, for that introduction. We are in um, no shortage of words, excited or stoked to be coming to Richmond, uh, to be joining for the year, um, and to skip finals. Uh, I'm tickled <laughs> to be away from that. I do not want to be anywhere near those things, and to have the privilege of opening God's Word together with you, um, there's no greater blessing. So if you have a Bible, um, if you would open it to Galatians 5, we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 18 this morning. So Galatians 5, verses 16 through 18. This is God's Word for us this morning. But if I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit... You are not under the law. Let's pray. Father, it is a joy to be gathered with your word opened. This is a holy moment for our church because you are speaking to us now because of what Christ has done for us and freeing us from our sin and giving us a new identity and receiving your Holy Spirit, Lord, we know that you are at work. You are at work even now to grow our affections for you. Lord, I pray for the encouragement of your church. Lord, I pray for those that do not know you this morning, that this word would move and quicken their hearts to the gloriousness of Jesus Christ and to the life that is freely offered by faith to them. It's your name we pray. Amen. In American folklore, there is this story, it's one of my favorites, of a famous duel that existed a couple hundred years ago. And it's in the low country of Louisiana. One of the men... A blacksmith by the name of James Humble was a man who towered at almost seven feet tall. Humble was from out of state, and while he, he said something, it was a, a hot take. It was viewed as offensive and out of place regarding uh, the current events of the Louisiana, Louisiana town that he was working in, but specifically this hot take these offensive uh, positions, it was regarding a man by the name of Bernard Malgany, who was a recently elected legislator for the state and who was known for the prominent Southern family that he came from. His short stature 
being just under five foot five, and his skill in sword fighting and his use of a pistol. Well, as the story goes, Morgany caught wind of these opinions from Humble, and he challenged him in view of honor, but mostly pride, to a duel to the death. Now, in that time, it was custom that if you were challenged to a duel, well, you got to your opponent could choose both the weapon and the location of that duel. Now, Humble was no swordsman, and he really wasn't a great shot when it came to guns. He could get the job done when it came to shooting wild game, but he was no match for his challenger. And so you can imagine that wave of fear that set upon and arose within Humble's heart, who came from humble means, and who was likely to lose his life in this duel for opening his mouth in an inappropriate manner. But Humble, in a moment of sheer genius, thought and devised a plan, and he walked gleefully to his fate. So given the rules of dueling, Humble declared that he would happily fight Morgany, but his weapons of choice was ginormous sledgehammers. And his location of choice would be six foot deep water in a nearby lake. It's a funny story. It's folklore. It's fiction. Because we know that that's not how conflicts really happen. I wish it happened. That's not how any of my conflicts happen. That's not how any of our conflicts go about. I mean, look at the war that's currently on foot in Europe. You think there's a clean silver silver bullet to be proposed there? Maybe you're in a conflict. I know we just bought a home sight unseen. Um, Don't recommend it. That's a recipe for anxieties and fears. Maybe you're uh, dealing with uh, a workplace conflict. Your neighbors, a bully at your child's school, a conflict currently within your marriage. If only they would see it from my perspective, as the other person says, also in their head. Conflicts are messy. They're risky. They're adrenaline-producing. They're anxiety-prone. But I think for Christians, for us, we know that our true struggles aren't external. They're internal. They're what's going on in our heart. Our conflict is with sin and temptation. The greater conflict is how deceitful sin could be and how much property we have unknowingly sold in our heart to sin. This passage that I just read, the passage that we're studying, the passage that God has ordained, the passage that the Holy Spirit has inspired for us to study this morning is about that conflict. But more importantly, Not only is it about conflict, it's about God's promise. This isn't just some, hey, Christians, let's do something better. Let's muster something up. This is a story and a testimony and verses and exhortation and imperative, a command of God's goodness. It's a famous text for us. A lot of Christians read this, and we can go all kinds of ways with walk by the Spirit. When Paul says, hey, do this, this is a command, walk by the Spirit, You know, sometimes we take that as a micromanagement from the Lord of, you know, micromanaging every detail of our lives because God is sovereign in the large things and he's also just as sovereign in the McDonald's straw wrapper blowing across I-64. So he must be detail-oriented with what I'm doing. You know, should I 
Should I get guacamole at Chipotle? Is this honoring the Lord to spend that $1.99? Can I get a Coke versus a water? You know, we can, we can just go and just start again looking at our lives going, I'm just not walking in the spirit when it comes to this. I think that's maybe the most often uh, trait uh, I see from this passage being applied in our lives. Some people take this as the internal white dog versus black dog, the spirit and sin. And you got to choose, you got a meal a day and you got to pick which one you're going to feed and which one you're going to starve. And the reason why you keep fighting is because one, one meal you're giving it to the spirit and the next one you're giving it to the flesh. And you could kill sin if you just feed this dog in your heart. Or maybe this one, the just focus on God and you won't focus on sin. Imagine a wet, a wet wall with wet paint and then this is, you know, sinning and this one, don't, don't touch the wet paint. So just go over here. Just touch that. I, I don't like the word just because it's a, it's a word that boasts of holding a hundred pounds, but I often find it can only hold five. Just do this. Some take walking in the spirit as a credence to do whatever they would like apart from the accountability of others. Well, that person is spirit-led. They're prophetic. They are, they're able to say things that contradict what Scripture would say. They're, they're leashless, if you will, free from community. And some would even take this to see that the Holy Spirit is in a silo, as if the, our greatest comfort, the comforter, works apart from the Father and the Son, that, that He's not intricately connected to the Father's love and to the accomplishment of what Christ did for us on the cross. There's no more needed passage for us this morning, brothers and sisters. This conflict is not something theoretical. It's something that I'm dealing with. It's something I walked in this room dealing with. And it's things that we deal with. We deal with sin and temptation every day. And if you wake up and you're unaware of sin and temptation, brothers, you have a calloused heart to the reality that you are in. We are prone to unbelief. And this passage, I hope, and it is God's intention, would stir you to faith. There's no doubt that there are persons here that feel like they are in a fight with sin and sin has a ginormous sledgehammer, that you are being beat over the head with sin and temptation. You might even use the word hopeless in your circumstance. Brothers and sisters, this passage is for you. The context of these verses in the larger view of the letter of Galatians is more in view with divisive parties within the Galatian churches. People that would choose to fight and divide. And apart from the gospel and the reality of what God's done for us, it's very easy for us to be divisive and to find all sorts of reasons to be divided amongst each other when we lose sight of the grace of God. We can find all sorts of ways in which we're justified to be right. And those persons over there, well, they're wrong. The command of this passage is for us who have stepped apart from the path, stepped away from the path, and need to hear Paul's exhortation to walk in the Spirit. So here we are, Galatians 5, 16 through 18. 
Paul is anticipating a question from the Galatian church. So far, Paul has been really good in defending his gospel versus the gospel of uh, the Galatian churches, that it is by faith through grace alone, not by works of the law, not by uh, circumcision or by attaining a, a, a performance to what the law that Moses gave us, but it's only, again, our plea before God is grace. Only what Jesus did. That's the only reason why we're in right standing before God. And so, in view of that, now his audience, the churches are going, well, how are we supposed to act? So, if you're saying there's no law, and how are we supposed to know who's in the church? How, how do I know, how do we mark one another? If, if I can't say, hey, I'm a Jew, and I, I obey the ceremonial laws, I obey the, the moral laws, and we have uh, circumcision, this is how we know who's in the camp. If you're saying all of that is gone, and I'm defined by the cross of Christ and the Holy Spirit, how am I supposed to live? How do we gather together? How do people know that we're Christians? That's really the question. So if we're not saved by the Old Testament, Paul, and to try to do so is spiritually fatal, how am I supposed to live? How do I view my sin? How am I supposed to fight sin, Paul, if I don't have the law? In view of what Jesus did for me, how does salvation work itself out in my life? If Christ saved me, period, nothing else added, what now? If we receive the Holy Spirit, what's the next sentence? And brothers and sisters, this is that sentence. This is the whole point of this passage. If you want to write this down, this is what I would submit that next sentence to be. Our battle with sin is only one through the Holy Spirit. You want to know a Christian? It's a person who has received the Holy Spirit, who's defined by their love of neighbor. Christians live an observably Godward life defined by love, not by law attainment, although it's very, Christianity is not moral laxity, but we live differently. We have a walk. We have a swagger to the way we live our lives. And so this morning, the way we're going to see this, it's going to be laid out in three points. We're going to recognize the conflict. We're going to look at verse 17. We're going to resolve to fight. And then we're going to rely solely on the Holy Spirit's help. So first, recognize the conflict. Second, resolve the fight. Third, rely solely on the Spirit's help. So let's look at verse 17 again. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. What is, what is flesh speaking to here? Flesh is speaking to your sin. It's talking about your fallen nature. This is talking about the sinful desires that come from our fallen nature. Back in Genesis 3, when, when Adam took a bite of the apple and fell in sin, so we all fell in sin by him representing us, and then we ourselves also are complicit in our actions of sin. And because of sin, every, we are bent. We are bent in our desires. We want we, we know there is a God, but there is, there is a, a, a bend within our desires themselves for things that are not good, for God replacements. Idols is the biblical word for it. And so when we became Christians, when we received the Holy Spirit, 
we didn't receive perfect glorified bodies. I hope that's no surprise. (laughs) We don't receive perfection as Christians. We receive a regenerate heart. That's That's a big word for we had a heart of stone and the Holy Spirit replaced that with a heart of flesh. We now have desires for God where we once did not. Like, I don't like orange juice. I never will. And I'm, I'm sorry if that offends anybody. I like milk. And so before Christ, God was like orange juice. I could freely choose it. I would never choose it though. But when God re- changed my heart, I now have a desire for that. Freely offered and I delight in it. And that's what we received when we became Christians. We still fight with sin though. And what the Bible describes is an already not yet. We've already received the promise. I already like orange juice. I love God, but I'm still fighting sin until heaven. And so when we see here in these verses, in verse 17 and 18, is that Paul is is telling us that both the flesh, our sinful desires, and the spirit are at odds with one another. And we're going to be at war until heaven. So both are attempting to stop the advance of the other So you want to overcome sin, brothers and sisters, this is such a temptation. This is such a temptation. Well, let me just morally muster something. If I want to overcome sin, and what we've learned from Paul in Galatians so far is that the law was never meant to be salvific. It wasn't supposed to show our capacity for saving ourselves. It's supposed to show our need for a Savior. And so when we read verses 17 and 18 of this passage, you need to note that it's the, the, the flesh and the spirit are at odds and they're fighting. And we oftentimes, I'm guilty of this, want to insert, Paul, I know better. Let's get the spirit out. Caleb can try. And I get in there and guess who wins? The flesh. <laughs> because the flesh found an opportunity through the law to stir with what was already in my heart, sinful desires, that bend for sinful things. Only God with us through the Holy Spirit can save us and aid us in our need. So Paul's teaching us two profound principles about uh, regarding the nature of the Christian life. You want to know what it's like? So, so once we're in, what's the marker? How do, we, how do we know who's a Christian and who's not? Well, what are two things that we know? First, God's grace defines us. That's the boundary marker. That God has saved us from our sins and we have a new life to live. But secondly, but secondly, he's saying that Christians will be in conflict. So keep watch. Again, the imperative, walk by the Spirit. So what is the Spirit that we're talking about here? Let's get, let's get emotional. What is the Spirit? Is it talking about your spirit? Is this a follow your heart moment? What you feel makes it real? Is it, are we talking about the, the, the power source of God as if like my TV remote is run out of batteries and, hey guys, make sure to change your batteries in the Christian life. Walk by the Spirit. The Spirit is a power source. Just make sure you're plugged in. Again, it's not, it's not that at all. It's not that at all. It's God himself. We're talking about the third person of the Trinity. Brothers and sisters, we Christians, we believe in a, in a, we have a Trinitarian faith. We have a Trinitarian faith. 
The Holy Spirit isn't a wind in an informal, impersonal, power source kind of thing. It is God. He is God. And Paul is saying this when he says, walk by the Spirit. He's talking out of a context that the Galatians would get from the Galatian letter, but also out of an Old Testament anticipation. There's two passages I want to point out, and they should be on the screen, where we have seen the Holy Spirit so far, the Spirit that's being referenced here. Galatians 3, verses 1 through 4, we learn that the Holy Spirit is the result of salvation by faith and by God's grace alone. Paul writes this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly betrayed as crucified. This only I wish to learn from you. By works of the law did you receive the Spirit, or by hearing with faith? So because, look at verse 1, is before your eyes, Christ Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. So because of the Christ event, because of what Jesus did, we received the Spirit. It is not by works of the law, because it is Christ. And we receive it by hearing with faith, because it is Christ. Not works, but faith. And so the Holy Spirit Brothers and sisters, again, this is because the Father sent the Son. The Father and the Son have sent His Spirit. It's not a silo. The Holy Spirit isn't some, you know, separate, you know, some denominations talk about the Holy Spirit and some of them don't. The Christian faith includes the Holy Spirit. And this text is related to Jesus. It's not separate. It's not a footnote. It's not a cool blog post that's on the side of like, hey, this is some good meat. Here's, here's some cheesecake. Whenever you get some time, it's a dessert thing that some people aren't into. All Christians should be about the Holy Spirit because it relates to the work of Jesus Christ. The second thing that we see, the second passage before us is Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. And from here we realize that the result of our adoptions, our identity as sons of God, is the Holy Spirit. So we've received the Holy Spirit because of the gracious adoption, or excuse me, the gracious salvation that we receive. And we receive the Holy Spirit because of the identity that we have as sons and daughters. So behind you should see, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Notice, that's the preface. Jesus and then the Spirit so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. What's powerful about this when we talk about the Holy Spirit is that we receive the Holy Spirit, you know, Jesus, receive. But then over here, we, we, we start noticing as Paul gets later in the letter that it's getting way a little bit more personal. You guys notice that? That we receive the spirit of the son who attests to our adoption. He's crying. That's, his, that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to make the son glorious to us. So here we are in Galatians 5 where Paul is transitioned from making statements about what the gospel is to what the gospel does. 
Again, we're in the what now part of the letter. So what do we do now in view of receiving this promised Holy Spirit who attests to the work and person of Jesus Christ? We walk in the Spirit. Which brings us to point two, verse 18. We need to be resolved to fight. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The thing that's important about this verse for us to understand is that this is talking, this is placing this verse within the history of what God has done to save a people to himself. This is talking about redemptive history, saving history. So what the what what we need to know is that Jesus Christ was plan A, not plan B, plan A. Again, the law was a teacher to teach us of our need waiting for the time of faith, waiting for Christ to come. And now that we're here, we now have the Spirit. And when Christ came, we entered a new era, church. We entered the church age. We entered the age of the Spirit, where we receive the Spirit. The distinctive mark of this age is the work of Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. If you're of the Spirit, You're not under the law. What Paul is trying to say, he's talking about you live in this age, you don't live in this one, okay? So if we live in the Spirit, if we have the Spirit, then we ought to use the Spirit. We ought to remember that we're not not in the Old Testament, we're in the New Testament. So again, walking in the Spirit must be understood in terms of this claim. It is a redemptive history claim. The Galatian church wanted external things to mark them. They wanted moralism and hypocritical holiness and a physical tell that they were saved. But Paul has argued, we have the Spirit. That's our marker. You want to know the church. It's those that have been regenerate. It's those that have received the Holy Spirit. And that's, that, that tells of adoption, or excuse me, to baptism. When we're baptized, we baptize believers Because we live in the spirit age. We live in this glorious age where God has regenerated us. And we're associating ourselves under the water with the death of Christ. And raised to new life with Jesus. That's the mark. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we see. This Holy Spirit that we worship is a profound privilege. And it is the greatest blessing of our church and of the church. Because of what Christ has done, he has given us himself. We have God dwelling in us and with us. You know what makes the loss of a loved one bearable? Having God with you. You know what makes your continued fight with sin optimistic? The Holy Spirit testifying to your adoption as a son of God? You know what makes community sweet in the church? The love of Christ being testified through the Holy Spirit. The war that I wage with my sin is not isolated. It's not an event between me, myself, and I. It's sitting in view of our Heavenly Father at the center of His redemptive work. So, as you think about today or this week, the things that you're struggling with, that that sin that's in your face that you just can't move to the left or to the right, 
God has ordained for you to fight that sin in this glorious age where we have the Spirit. Place today on the timeline of God's redemptive work. And resolve to fight with the divine means of victory. The law is not a tool for overcoming sin. The Holy Spirit is. God's divine means of sanctifying his church is the Holy Spirit, who testifies to the beauty and the glory of Christ, who inspired men to write God's word that we're opening up today. What a blessing it is. Who supplies us with the grace that we need when we need it most. One illustration, I was at a wedding this uh, past Friday, and this was brought up, and I, I just thought it was so applicable to this text. In a marriage cer- ceremony, oftentimes we talk about the role of the husband and of the wife. And one of the beautiful things about the biblical imagery of marriage, the husband is supposed to be self-sacrificing, sac- sacrificing himself for his wife out of love, as Christ loved the church. And then we talk about wives and how they are helpmates, helpers. And that same Hebrew word is the same word that we use for the Spirit, our divine help in a time of need. And for the married men here, there is no grander testimony of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives than our wives and how they are a help in our darkest moments When we are at our lowest, who lifts you up? Your wife does. That picture is meant to represent a spiritual reality for you. The Holy Spirit is that help at a greater, a greater type than your wife. As wonderful as our wives are, it's meant to be a picture to stir faith for us to trust in the Lord and to remember the Holy Spirit who dwells with us. Which brings us to point three relies solely on the Spirit's help. Verse 16. Let's look at verse 16. Caleb, you're going like backwards and sideways with the outline of this text. Why are you doing that? Well, here we are at verse 16. I'm not going to answer that question. (laughs) Verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So in it is both the command and a promise. The command is very simple. There's an imperative. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. And the promise is that when you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The first step in, uh, towards obedience of this command is understanding what walking is. You know, we, <laughs> we've defined what spirit is, but what, what's walking? And I think uh, Doug Moo is rather helpful on this point. He shows that this idea comes from the Old Testament, specifically wisdom literature. So think Proverbs. So think Proverbs here as depicting a way of life as particular as a particular way or road to be followed. So that's to say that this imperative is talking about your life. It's not a one-time deal or saying a prayer when you were five per se. Christianity is a life-changing direction of allegiance. It's talking about everything. We're talking about everything in the kitchen at this point. You don't get to exclude anything. And to define this, I'm going to borrow from one of my pastors and a dear mentor, Jeff Perswell. He defines walking in the Spirit as this. To walk in the Spirit 
is living the whole of one's life in active dependence upon and under the control of the Holy Spirit. To walk in the Spirit is living the whole of one's life in active dependence upon and under the control of the Holy Spirit. Which brings us to the contrast again of this passage, the Spirit and the flesh. The Spirit and the flesh. So notice, just take out Holy, take out Holy Spirit from that definition and replace it with flesh. Brothers and sisters, that is our struggle. If there was, if you want to take, if you want to make this imperative concrete, it's when we live our life actively depending on and under the control of the flesh, of sin, of your idols, of sports, or media, or money, or um, your property, or your all-star kids, or your all-star job, or your 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 talents. You, I mean, you name it. I'm just throwing this out there. There is something in your heart blocking your vision of the Lord that you can move and obey by the Spirit. This is a very relatable passage. The promise, the good news of this passage, the second part, there's an emphatic negation. So when, when Paul says that you will not, it, in, in the original, it's saying you will not not gratify the desires of the flesh. So in English, and I bet a, a bunch of other languages, when we, when we use a double negative, that cancels it. Typically, you will not not gratify the desires of the flesh, which is, that's not Paul like, wait, gotcha. You know, that's not a gotcha moment here. He's, it's, it's emphatic. It makes it more permanent. It makes it more. It doesn't negate it. It makes it more. And so when he says you will not, this is an encouragement because this is also Paul leaning on what he said so far in Galatians. God has done two things in light of Jesus regarding our sins. He's done two things. He's broken sin's claim on us. I'm going to take a moment. I'm just going to rest here for a second. He's broken sin's claim on us. I don't know if there's someone here that needs to hear that. You might be in a dark moment right now. But brother, if you trust in the Lord, sister, if you believe in Jesus, sin's claim is broken. There is hope for you. And I pray that this text encourages you specifically. The second thing that God has done for us on the cross is that he has given us himself in the Holy Spirit. The comfort, the promise, the empowerment of this command is implicit in the command itself. God's almighty presence is with you. Our only hope in life and death is that we are not our own. And that does not change when we get to the imperatives of the Bible. It's not, okay, man, I love grace. Let's go to the kitchen and start working away and start striving in the flesh. God's grace 
is the start, it's the middle, it's the end when Caleb dies and doesn't breathe anymore. It's grace that supplies him till eternity. And that's the story of every Christian. It is grace from start to finish. And our enemy is no longer our master. All he can do, all sin can do is beckon us to come, call us to fall away, invite us to have a banquet in the grave of death, but he cannot force you. What does it look like to walk in the Spirit? If that's what it's not, can you give me some positives, Caleb? (laughs) When you're assured by the presence of God more than that circumstance that you're in, brother and sister, be encouraged. You're walking in the Spirit. When you trust in the goodness of God's rule over the fallen promise of sin, the false promise of sin, that's walking in the Spirit. Remember what I said, this was talking about divisive parties within the Galatian church. So this letter, walking in the Spirit, is tied to church. It's tied to how you live with one another. And so when you joyfully serve one another in love, in the context of your church, despite the flaws of the person across from you, despite the reputation that they might have, despite their noted disdain to you, when you love them as Christ loved you, regardless of or in view of your own sinful reputation, that is walking in the Spirit. When your life is known for your humility and your love of others because of Christ, that is walking in the Spirit. I think one of the applications from this text, if I can get a little closer to you guys, if we could put this command in the middle seat of an airplane and you got the window seat, there's no such thing as on the fence. And I think that's a really popular notion today, particularly with religion that we can have an on-the-fence category. I love the Lord, but I just, you know, I'm kind of on the fence. I'm feeling things out. I'll check in in a couple years. I'll live, I'll live my life, and then when I'm older, I'll go to my pastor. I'll ask for repentance. I'll ask him what the gospel is. I might get baptized then, and then, then I'll be good with God. But that's not how this imperative works. Walking is everything. Walking is your life. It's not an optional to-do list of, you know, for me, I've got two kids. So wake up, change diapers, make coffee, pray I get to coffee this morning. Then I work. And then after I'm working and I come home and I help Christy with the dishes and cleaning, then I'll, I'll walk by the Spirit. You know, none of us would say that. But we kind of do it. When we get home after a long day, you know, we already pushed off our quiet time with the Lord. We, we pushed off prayer. And before you know it, it's 9 p.m. There's all sorts of ways where we can forget the Lord in our day-to-day, in our walking. And it's easy to find false assurances that will falsely assure us that we are following this command. We can lighten this passage. We can nerf it by just saying, you know, I, Caleb, I, I, hey, I'm going to raise my hand. I, Caleb, I would never feel tempted to go, hmm, Mosaic ceremonial laws. I would prefer to live in that versus the New Testament understanding of the Holy Spirit. You know, some of us, that, that might not be a temptation, but, but again, we can, we find all sorts of traps 
like the Galatians would be tempted to, to make us look like we're walking under the authority of God. You know, works of the flesh that are just below this passage include factions and divisions. Do you love taking sides when you hear, you know, some, the, the hot tea of the day? Uh, you know, fits of anger. Have you ever been angry before? Sexual immorality. These are examples of things that we can relate to. There's all sorts of ways that we can give the appearance of the Lord's authority, but it's really our flesh at work. I was talking to, um, I was talking to a guy a couple weeks ago, and uh, he was uh, dating a guy in our, uh, uh, or dating a girl in our community group. And I, I just asked him, I was like, hey man, so tell me your testimony. And he goes, well, I was baptized today. Well, awesome. Okay, well, when, when'd your life change? Well, when I was 16, life started looking different. Okay, well, well tell, me, tell me what that looked like. Well, I started thinking more independently from my parents. I started having my own thoughts, my own perspective and worldview. Brother, you just told me when you were baptized and you told me when you started thinking for yourself, when did you turn from sin and trust in the Lord? A lot of times we can confuse the fruits of good gospel living with the roots. All sorts of forms of walking, spirit walking, walking by the spirit, but we can walk in the flesh. We can, we can do, my life isn't a wreck walking. We can do, I've sacrificed so much for my family walking, people pleasing walking, social cause walking. I'm a good church member walking. The thing about the flesh, the flesh doesn't need to make us look like pagans. It just needs to make us look religious. That to say there's no neutrality in this war. There's no Switzerland's, if you will, in this fight. Walking is it, it walking really isn't the imperative. It's walking by the spirit. Everyone is walking. You're walking. So my question is, where's your heart swaying this month? What troubles your soul? Where are you in pride walking? Or where, again, where have you unknowingly sold property in your heart to the flesh? Walking in the flesh versus walking in the spirit. I think this is another point with neutrality. Maybe it's not neutrality, but plurality. Oh, that's so good that you guys walk in the spirit, that you guys are Christians and you do that. I'm having real success over here. I'm a great businessman and my family's great. Let's compare. Let's do, let's do a spreadsheet and, and my way is great. Whether maybe, maybe it's uh, for our teenagers, you know, Christianity, God seems to be working great for mom and dad, but you know, I, I'm going to wait. I'm going to hold my chips a minute or two before I, I cast in faith because I got a lot, I got a lot of life to live right now. The flesh, that if you're in here and you thought that and you're thinking that, the, the works of the flesh, that is, that is a spiritual car crash with eternal consequences. And I cannot lighten that. You can play that game and you can play it for a minute. Before you know it, you are going to be enslaved and taken farther 
than you ever imagined. I was talking to a person who cut my hair, been praying for her salvation for seven years at this point. Finally got to share Jesus with her a couple weeks. Highlight of my year. And you know what did it for those people that, that might be on that plural plurality kind of? The thing that broke her was that she was being choked by sin. She couldn't breathe because of sin in her life. She had tried it all. She had tried it all. And it wasn't helping, wasn't working, because again, sin is false promises. There are two choices. There is life in Christ or there is death. And you can have your fill, but it will end in death apart from faith in Christ. And the good news, maybe you're here and you're trying out church. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you're here. The good news of Jesus Christ is that it's free. It's open. It's a gift. All we need, all you need is to turn from sin, to realize your state before the Lord and a simple trust and faith in what Jesus has supplied for you. Christ did everything, living the life that we could not live and dying the death that we deserved. He died and took all the wrath of God upon himself for his people so that we might live a, a, a substantially different life, flourishing. It's not like we're just in, a, in a, some kind of school with, with strict rules. I live, and I, this is what I was telling, and this was the testimony to this, this person that was cutting my hair. I love my life because Jesus changed everything. And that's the extent, that's the invitation that I want to ask you, is that if you feel lost, Christ is here. And don't delay. Strike while the iron is hot. So with that being said, I think there's just one or two things I want to point out about what walking in the Spirit is. And the first thing is that it is Christ-centered. If you haven't already picked that up, it is all about Jesus. Galatians 2 through 4, up to this point in the letter, it is because of Christ that we've received the Holy Spirit. And when we read the fruits of the Spirit, a little bit later, so right after this passage is the works of the flesh, fruits of the Spirit. You want, it, you want the fruits of the Spirit? Look, at, look with me, verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You want the fruits of the Spirit? Know Jesus. Tom Schreiner is really helpful here regarding this point when he writes that Paul, in regard to this command, Paul is fundamentally optimistic here. I love that phrase because my heart can be so tempted to despair. Fundamentally optimistic here, claiming that as one walks by the Spirit and is led by the Spirit, there is substantial, significant, and observable victories in your life over the flesh. So as we go to community groups this week, as you rub shoulders with Christians and people ask you questions that make you feel uncomfortable, it's because they love you. Walking in the Spirit is loving your neighbor. Christians have a swagger. They have a walk. They are known by the way that they act. It's not out of works it's out of grace. And that's to say the next thing about walking in the Spirit. 
Walking in the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, is in the embodiment of freedom. When you read one of the more famous verses in Galatians, Galatians 5.1, For freedom Christ has set me free. For freedom. We've received freedom. So what does that mean? Does that mean you get to do whatever you want? No, it's freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. That means that we're free to honor the Lord. It is, here's, here's a fun word to use, it is ethically impelling. We move because of what Christ has done for us. It's not sinless perfectionism. It's not moments of sinless perfectionism where you, you die to self and in a moment you can fully embody the, the law of God. It's impartial and perfect. Going back to what I said earlier, it's the already, not yet. This is a taste of heaven, brothers and sisters, where we will one day be free of sin. But when we try to obey out of grace, I mean, I'm aiming for perfection. Who's aiming, who's aiming for 50%? I'm looking to love my neighbor. I want to perfectly fulfill that. I'm looking to sacrifice for my wife. I want to knock that out of the park. And so as Christians, that's our aim. Because the love of God motivates us. And I've already said this. Walking in the Spirit is in the context of the church. The fruits of the Spirit are the embodiment of loving your neighbor as yourself. It's not a rogue venture, but a community-driven activity. So a lot of the proof is in the pudding of your church membership. How you live life with one another. Paul's issue with the Galatian churches is that they were thinking for themselves, that they were, they were um, boasting and, and uh, peacocking. They were just showing their feathers, not thinking of others. Paul lays out for us a path that we can walk with God. A year ago, I was playing Ultimate Frisbee with our youth group, and uh, I turned 30, and that was way more existential than it needed to be. And so we're playing, and I get a knee injury. And I, I go for this Frisbee, and I land, and I hear a pop. And I thought, oh, goodness, there's the ACL. I'm going to the retirement home. My life's over. It wasn't my ACL. It was, I had some, there's, I, I went to Bible college. I have no idea the medical terms. It was, I, I had severe bone bruising and I had some strained ligaments. It was, I, it was, it was a lot. I had a, a, a knee immobilizing brace from my foot all the way up. I couldn't move my leg and it hurt so bad. I've never been in more pain in my life than when I went down. Went in, and I went, uh, went to the emergency room the day after Kentucky Derby, which was the worst decision ever. And that was excruciating for months. And then after, after a time of healing, I went to physical therapy. And in physical therapy, I was very surprised at what I was supposed to be doing. Very surprised. It's like, all right, you know, so like, how was the bruising? And like, I got to get my muscles in, in line, all this stuff, because I haven't moved, I haven't used this leg in, you know, eight weeks at this point. And the lesson from physical therapy, from my knee injury, my, my physical therapist was, Caleb, it's not, it's not about, you know, the injury itself. It's learning how to walk again. You're free from the injury and your body wants to react and limp. You're going to have to learn to walk in the freedom 
from that injury. And for us as Christians, we have endured a deadly injury to our knee. That if we did not receive help, we would have died. But Christ freed us, and we are learning to walk without a limp. It'll be imperfect and partial, but that's the good news of this passage. That because of what Christ has done, we are free from the power of sin. Sin is no joke. Our enemy is real. You know, it's it, we're 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 <laughs> the promise of this text is not that our enemy is dead. It's like the skilled and powerful Margony, Margony, who has a pistol and a sledgehammer, and in any other context we'd be done. But he's in six foot of water, and our sin at the foot of the cross is nothing. He's still present. We're still getting in that lake. But we have God with us through his spirit. Let's pray. Father, we are trophies of your grace and not of our works. We're humbled by your word. Lord, I would ask that you would grant us the faith to obey this command. Lord, empower us, open our eyes to the gloriousness of Christ. I thank you for sending the Holy Spirit, that we live in the Spirit age, for transforming our hearts, for how he makes Jesus beautiful to us, convicting us of our sin, Lord, as we've already prayed this morning, for comforting us in our every season. For those, Lord, that do not know you, please, would you have mercy? We pray that you would act now and bring about salvation, Lord, and would you please, please move in us, Lord. Make this, make this text alive to us. Free us from guilt, Lord. Empower us with grace. Make us optimistic as we walk out of this room because of what you have done in saving us from our sins. It's in your name we pray. Amen.